Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Nationals Park in Washington, D.C. It's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Washington Nationals 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And it's good to be back with you after the off day. If you didn't get a chance to listen to some of our Yankees episodes at the end of the week, if it was just too frustrating you know, the ending to those games, getting beat by the Yankees. You didn't want to relive it by listening to the podcast. Uh, we had some good conversations, and there's some things that are going to carry over into today. And one of the things we went and we looked at the team stats, the Guardians team stats, with runners in scoring position. And sometimes these things continue to be relevant. Storylines, I told you, can last for a while. Right now, we got a storyline that's basically been lasting since the homestand started, maybe even all season. And that's the Guardians getting that big hit, getting a rally going, you know, getting a big inning. So how do they do tonight? They scored four runs, right, Davey? So that's decent. Seven hits. That's decent. So how'd they do? They went one for ten with runners in scoring position. Storylines carrying over. One for ten. All right, we will get into it. We will get into the big storylines of the game. Uh, one of the things I just want to shout out at the top of the show is the Nationals were wearing their their special, is, they still call them the City Connect uniforms. They're wearing their special uniforms with the uh, cherry blossoms, you know, on the logo. And, you know, it got me thinking. I've been thinking this for a while. It, it's frankly getting insulting at this point. That Cleveland doesn't have one of these cool alternate special uniforms, right? The Padres have theirs with all the neon on it. Um, you know, so many teams. The Rockies have theirs with the the green mountains and stuff like that on it. There's so many. I know they're weird. I know they're they're out there. They're kind of bizarre. But the Nationals have theirs with actual cherry blossom flowers on it. Where's Cleveland's? Where's Cleveland's? They do it for the NBA every season, so but everybody across the league gets it. For Major League Baseball, they've been rolling them out like one at a time, and it's been like two or three years that they've been doing these, right? And Cleveland still does not have some kind of cool, alternate, wild out there uniform. You know it's gonna, you know they're gonna try to go rock and roll, right? It's gonna be something with a guitar. There's so many things they could. They could go with the lake and something with like a wave crashing or something like that. They they can go. There's so many other things they can go with. It could be a giant free stamp that says Guardians on it for all I know. If if you're not from Cleveland, that reference if you're just a fan of the team, that reference means absolutely nothing to you. There there's a giant piece of public art that's been in Cleveland forever since I was since I've been born. And uh it's just a giant stamp that says the words free on it. So um, there, there's a lot of things that they could pull on on the city. It doesn't have to be a guitar, but there's a, I don't even heard discussions. I haven't even rumors. I've heard nothing about Cleveland eventually getting one of these cool alternate jerseys. So, uh, I don't know why I wanted to start with that, but felt like it needed to just be something we talk about at the beginning of the show. Cause I totally would have forgotten about it by the end of the show. Or maybe I was thinking of iconic looks and thinking maybe you would want to pick up an iconic look from the podcast you love listening to. Well, you could do that for show merch. You could visit Cleveland Baseball Mornings. 
www.myspreadshop.com. There's a link in the show notes. T-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, of course, it's a morning show, and more for men, women. We got kid sizes, baby sizes. I'm wearing my uh, I'm a morning person T-shirt today, uh, which one of my neighbors appreciated without even knowing I do a podcast. They're like, I'm a morning person too. I was like, absolutely, right on. <laughs> uh, show off your pride for Cleveland baseball and help spread the show's name with some high-quality shirts. I... You know, I kind of let this go for a while, but I noticed a few people were buying them earlier in the season. So uh, early this season. So I figured I'd bring it up again one more time. Uh, I dropped the prices as far down as I could drop them. I'm not even trying to make money off t-shirts. I just I just want people to find the show. I just want to spread the name out there. So uh, check it out, clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com. All right. Now let's get into the storylines of the game. Like I said, one for 10 with runners in scoring position. I got a lot to say about Cal Quantrill. I was actually doing some serious digging, some serious research on Cal Quantrill. But before we get into that, I, I again, the, the offense, it's great. We score runs in three innings in a row. We score late in the game. That's great. They're Frankly, their starting pitcher, Trevor Williams, did pretty good against us. Goes five innings, four hits, one earned run, two walks, two strikeouts, uh, 95 pitches. He is hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. A very good start for Trevor Williams. We get to their bullpen. We score two runs off Hunter Harvey. We score an unearned run off Carl Edwards Jr. So we're able to put it together and scratch across some runs. But ready for this? Remember, one for 10 with runners in scoring position. So how do we score these runs well in the sixth inning uh it ain't pretty but we get it done Ahmed Rosario gets a uh we, we hit the ball hard I will tell you that much we hit the ball hard he smokes one of center field at 103.4 Victor Robles takes possibly the worst route I have ever seen a center fielder take breaking back on a ball since I've been watching the game we talk about this all the time, and it's usually in a positive way. If you know, if you have kids, if you have young kids, or you, you know, you coach a little league or something like that, and you want to show them, you know, how to play this game, we talk about watching Jose Ramirez all the time. Hey, he got thrown out at second, trying to stretch a single into a double. It happens. That's why you push the envelope. I'm proud of him for pushing the envelope. Even you're gonna get thrown out eventually. Um, but uh, we talk about watching Jose Ramirez. And all the positive things you can learn from that. Well, you can also learn what not to do. And I think every kid needs to see what Victor Robles does in center field. He almost does it late in the game. But he's able to make the catch. Uh, But he not only gets turned around. But then turns back. But then stops. It's, It's one thing to get turned around. It's one thing to turn the wrong direction in the outfield. But you, there's a way to turn back. You know... turn back towards the wall and keep your momentum going backwards. It's like a wide receiver in football. You just, you can't stop. You can't stop. You got to keep moving. And when Robles pulls up and stops, he's, he's just done for it's, it's over. There's no way he's catching this ball. Um, you're not going to be like Randy Rosarena in the world baseball classic and just do a straight jump from a standing position and think you're going to come down with it. You just have to keep Moving. So, it's a great lesson. Ahmed Rosario ends up with a double. Ramirez smokes a single, 109.5, I believe, in the right field. Uh, and Ahmed Rosario, again, 
can't take that extra base because Ramirez is hitting the ball too hard. He has to stop at third. Uh, I, I knew that was going to be a problem. Now, he does luckily come in to score, but Josh Naylor ground into a double play. 105.7, a great pick at shortstop by the national shortstop uh, Abrams. Great pick, turns the double play. Rosario comes in to score. So Ramirez's single is the only hit with runners in scoring position, and it doesn't even score a run. Naylor's ground into a double play, brings in a run. Doesn't even get the RBI because it's a double play. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's not an unearned run. It still goes as an earned run against the pitcher, but you don't get an RBI when you ground into a double play. So there we go. One run across without a hit in runners in scoring position. Josh Bell, seventh inning. All right, can't complain about this. Bell comes to life, leads off the inning with a home run, 106.8 off the bat, 410 out the right center field, absolutely crushes one. Frankly, a pitch that was set to be down and away and came up and in, and he got it. I mean, this thing missed the catcher's target by a couple feet. I It was supposed to be in a different zip code, and uh, Bell absolutely unloaded on this one. Actually, the double he hits later in the game, same exact situation. A fastball, I don't know exactly what pitch it was. I, I guess I could dig in if we really cared. But a pitch that comes up and in when it was not supposed to be there. And again, he crushes it out to right field. This one, the double in the eighth inning was at 99.8 miles per hour. So, great that he hit a home run, but it's a solo home run. And it's a hit without a runner in scoring position. So it, it does not help in this situation. You know, it does not help this statistic look any better. Great to have solo home runs. Man, I'd love to see that with a couple guys on base, wouldn't you? So he gets the hit there. Uh, we load the bases this inning then. Will Brennan with a single. Zanino strikes out. Straw strikes out. Quan draws a walk. Ahmed Rosario draws a walk. Base is loaded now. They bring in a relief pitcher to face Jose Ramirez, and he draws a walk. So another run comes in to score without a hit in runners in scoring position. That's three now in this game. Naylor would pop out to end the threat with the bases loaded. Then in the eighth inning, uh, Andres Jimenez reaches on a fielding error. The pitcher can't handle a little dribbler back to him. It's Oh, God, that's a terrible feeling. It's like your your hand won't work. Like, why won't the, your fingers just pick this darn ball up off the grass? Uh, so Andres Jimenez is on with a fielding error. Bell with a uh, the big double off the wall. Uh, again, smokes it so hard that Jimenez has to stop at third. And then Brennan, check swing, ground out, even with the infield pulled in. Abrams charging in from shortstop. Uh, Jimenez breaks, again, Credit to the base runner here. There are positive things in everything I'm saying here. Jimenez breaks for home, crack of the bat. Not really crack of the bat, more like uh, bounce of the ball breaks for home. Uh, and Brennan, the play, the only play Abrams has is at first base. Brennan gets thrown out. Bell moves up to third. Jimenez scores the go-ahead run. Four runs now in this game without a hit with a runner in scoring position. Bells is the only one, his solo home run is the only one that actually comes home on a hit. The other three of these, uh, no hits with runners in scoring position in any of these situations. Zanino would draw a walk, Straw with a runner on third, less than two outs, so many ways to score, you just got to put the ball in play. Or the pitcher's got to throw into the backstop, right? So many ways for that guy to score, 
Straw cannot put the ball in play. That hurts. That would have been a big insurance run, a nice insurance run, and Quan grounds out to end the threat. So you had a runner on third. You had a chance to drive him in with one of your wacky Cleveland plays or a sack fly, anything. And even a ground out, Straw's probably beating out the back end of the double play, and you're getting that run home. And no, they can't get Bell home. I believe actually it was Gonzalez. I think Gonzalez was pinch running at that point. They can't get him home from third base. So there's your four runs. None of them happen with a runner in scoring position. I hit with runners in scoring position. So again, we're one of the worst teams in baseball right now. We can't get a big rally going. We can't blow these games open. Bally Sports had a tweet. Let me see if I can still pull this up here. Bally Sports had a tweet where they're like, they don't call them the Guardiac kids for nothing. And they put up this stat, winning the close ones. Five wins by one run. Four wins in the last at-bat. Four wins in extra innings. Eight one-run games played. Six comeback wins tied for most in the majors. I tweeted back, I don't think this is the humble brag you think it is. We should be blowing out teams like the A's and the Nationals. At the end of the season, this is fun. After you've been through the wars, it's cool to look back and be like, man, look how many times this team fought back over 162 games. We're 14 games into the season. This is not a brag that we're playing all these close games right now. So, yeah, the little things in here are great. Bell with two really hard hit balls, two gets two extra base hits. That's great. Jimenez, you know, being able to score from third on the infield chop, that hustle, that that knowledge to go, that's great. But some of the other things here uh, are a little bit troubling. So, yeah, so uh, that's what's going on uh, offensively in this one. Now, on the other side of things, Cal Quantrill, my other big story, it's a, it goes as a quality start for Cal Quantrill. And this, that's what this game is. We won but it, it, it should have been better, right? Like, Washington should not be hanging around with us. They're not at our level. This is a team that's rebuilding. They've traded away all their stars. They have former guardian Alex Call leading off for them, and he ends up with a big two-RBI hit in this one. Gets a little revenge against his former team, even though we got the W. Uh, yeah, th- this team, we are in a, we should be in a different, we're a playoff team. We're a division winner. The Nationals are rebuilding, and they're basically a AAA team at this point. Uh, you know, this, this sh- it's good we won, but it, sh- it should have been a bigger win, right? It's weird to say, but it should there should have been more here. So Quantrill gets a quality start. Six innings pitched, six hits, three earned runs, two walks, three strikeouts, uh, and a home run allowed. Solo home run allowed on 104 pitches. He is hard hit. One, two, let me zoom in on this to make life easier. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. So, yeah, six innings pitch, three earned runs or less. That's a quality start in Major League Baseball. Uh, gets the, does he get the W? Who gets the actual official W in this one? No, Stefan gets the W in this one who came into pitch and relief in the seventh. Um, but here's the thing about Cal Quantrill I'm trying to figure out what's different what's going on? Last year, last year, he has, you know, a very good year. Uh, last year, he's 15-5, and 5, 3.38 ERA, 
What was the whip? 1.21 whip. Very good pitcher last year. 186 innings pitched. Like one of the most reliable pitchers in the game. And then I'm going to this year and I'm trying to figure out what's different. Barrel percentage, about the same. 7.5, 7.9 this year. Uh, hard hit percentage, actually a little less this year. 35.7% hard hit last year to 342 this year. Uh, walks, he's not walking more guys. 6.1 walks last year, 6.4 walk percentage this year. Uh, so yeah, so what's going on? Obviously the ERA is a lot higher. Um, you know, we know he's giving up runs. So what is going on? And, you know, it took me digging around the page all over StatCatch page. I was looking at spin rate. I was looking at all sorts of things. And I finally get down uh, to the percentile rankings at the bottom of his StatCast page. They kind of have them listed out for every year here. And I'm looking at what's the difference. And a lot of things are the same. Percentile for exit velocity has always been in around the 70s. Uh, You know, I'm looking at different things. Boom, chase rate. So for most of his career, he's been in the mid to high 70% percentile ranking when it comes to chase rate. So compared to the rest of baseball here, uh, 77th percentile last year when it came to chase rate, which means he's really good at getting hitters to expand the zone and chase to their own detriment. Whether they're missing or whether they're, it's inducing weak contact, he gets them to expand the zone. This year... And I believe this includes tonight's stats, 24th percentile in chase rate. They're not chasing this year. There, there you go. There's a huge, huge difference. Uh, the chase percentage, when you look at the actual plate discipline numbers, last year, 32.2% of the time he was getting them to chase. This year, it's down to 23.4. So, yeah. That's a big difference, almost 10%, right? 9% difference in the chase rate right there. That's a huge difference for a pitcher who throws a lot of hard stuff. It's sinkers and cutters. And the cutter, usually one of the best pitches for him. In 2021, the cutter had a minus 11 run value. Minus 11. Last year was only a minus one, but some of his other pitches were okay. Almost almost all his main pitches, everything except for the four-seam fastball, had a minus run value last year, so he spread it around a lot more. This year, the cutter has a plus three run value. It has not been a good pitch for him. Uh, last year, it was putting away hitters at a 17.2% rate. This year, it's down to 13. Uh, the, the whiff percentage on the cutter last year was up at 23.8. This year it's down at 13.8, a 10% difference on his whiff rate when it comes to that cutter, the cutter, he throws the second most of all his pitches. It's a very important pitch for him. And looking at the location a little bit here, um, of where he throws his pitches last year, he pounds the arm side of the plate, right? So if we're looking at the stack cast view, it's the catcher's view, uh, So from the catcher's view, it would be the left side of the plate. But for the pitcher, it's the arm side of the plate for the righty Cal Quantrill. Pounds that two-seamer out there. Makes sense. The cutter, he likes to pound it down and into the glove side. So it would be down and into lefties, down and away to righties. He likes to pound the cutter down into that corner. And then the changeup, the opposite corner. That It all makes sense for a right-handed pitcher, right? 
leaves the changeup on the arm side of the plate and leaves it down. That's his mix. The sinker is up a little bit compared to the changeup. So he's pounding you on that left edge of the plate with the sinker, the right side of the plate with the cutter, and down to the left side of the plate with that changeup. If we look at 2023 so far, the, the sinker has been, you know, it, it's a small sample size, so the grouping isn't as red hot. You know, it's kind of a heat map here, how they indicate this. Uh, but the sinker has been on that arm side of the plate. The cutter has not been that 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 down and in to the lefties or that, that pitch that breaks down to the glove side of the plate like it had in the past. He's actually thrown a bunch of them, maybe front door cutters and stuff like that. He's thrown a bunch of them to the arm side of the plate. So he's not really hitting that location with his cutter yet. Same thing with the changeup. They're down, but down middle of the plate or down way below the strike zone. He's not hitting that corner of the plate, that arm side low corner of the plate, that spot that was effective for him last year. So the cutter and the changeup are not really hitting their locations quite yet. So uh, again, I went to the illustrator here and I kind of isolated, um, you know, I was looking at the location of everything from last year of balls that were put in play, looking at it this year, and he was getting a lot of changeups from the arm side of the plate and a lot of cutters from the glove side of the plate that were off the plate put in play. It's not happening this year. A lot of the balls put in play this year are frankly on the plate. So again, not getting them chased, not getting them to expand the strike zone. So that's what I was able to figure out about Cal Quantrill so far. So next time you see Quantrill pitch, see if he's hitting those locations with the changeup. See if he's hitting those locations, especially with the cutter. See if he's getting guys to expand the strike zone. Even if they're making contact, it's not going to be as good a contact off the plate as they're making on the plate. Yeah, sure, you can get lucky and poke one the other way when the pitch is off the plate. Or maybe you just you turn on a pitch so hard, you line it down the line, Jose Ramirez style, Andres Jimenez style. But your chances are, over the long term of a season, if you're swinging at pitches off the plate, you are not going to be making the type of contact you are from pitches that are coming down the middle, from pitches on the plate. You know? So... That that's that's what I was able to find on Cal Quantrill. So tonight, uh, he gets he gets a good job done. Doesn't get the win. I was about to say the win. Doesn't get the win. Gets a quality start here. What were the CSW numbers tonight? He never has a high whiff rate, and he he doesn't in this one. Uh, they were not swinging and missing at that cutter. Only a tw- two swing. Oh, two whiffs on the cutter on seventeen swings. Uh, total, it's a fourteen percent whiff rate on the night for him. He does have 15 called strikes, so it does buoy his CSW numbers a little bit, up to 21%. But man, they're putting that uh they were putting that two-seam sinker in play. 14 times they put that sinker in play for a 91.7 average mile per hour exit velocity. The cutter, they were making weak contact. They put six in play, only at an 85.6% average exit velocity. So he was doing a little bit. Uh, there. Uh, the outside the zone swinging percentages for both the cutter and the sinker are in the low teens. 14% outside the zone swinging on the sinker, 12% on that uh, cutter, 0% on the changeup. They did not expand the zone for that changeup at all. So uh, yeah, again, not getting guys to expand, not getting them to chase. 
just out of curiosity, just for comparison, let's see what the Guardians were doing against Trevor Williams. Outside the zone swinging on his four-seam fastball, 35%. Outside the zone swinging on his changeup, 33%. Outside the zone swinging on his two-seamer, 50%. So a total on all his pitches, the Guardians were swinging outside the zone 33% of the time. They were making contact out there frequently, 89% contact rate, but they were going out of the zone, expanding the zone, uh, probably helped to make some weak contact. 33% 33% of the time. For uh, Cal Quantrill, it's 11%. So that's a big difference there between just the two starting pitchers for tonight's game. So there you go. There's my thoughts on Cal Quantrill. And, you know, the bullpen comes in, does their job. A lot of times in situations where, you know, you're facing a team that's in a rebuild and stuff like that, maybe they can hang with you for a little bit. Maybe there's an element of the game where they got one good starting pitcher. But it's hard to have all three aspects, even four aspects, if you want to include defense in there, working, right? The starters, the bullpen, your lineup, your defense. It's hard to have all four of those things really cooking when you're a team on the rebuild like this, right? It takes a while to put that all together. And so we beat their bullpen in this one. Their bullpen ends up giving up three runs. Our bullpen pitches a shutout, uh, three-inning shutouts. Trevor Steffen does his job in the... Uh, Seventh, despite two runners reaching base. Karinchek with two strikeouts. Nobody reaches base on him in the eighth. And then Klasse, despite giving up a hit uh, and hitting a guy. Uh, I didn't, did Klasse, somebody hit somebody with a pitch. Um, Karinchek hit someone with a pitch. So someone did reach base. I take that back. Um, Klasse does give up a hit, but is able to get a strikeout. And uh, yeah, shuts down the ninth inning. Save situation. Different Emmanuel Klasse. He gets the job done. So his fourth save on the season. So those three guys do their job and definitely beat the Nationals bullpen. So that's all my thoughts on this one. MVP on the day. Ooh, I got to go with Josh Bell, man. Two big hits in this one, the double, the home run. Uh, Suddenly there's a little bit of life in that batting average. There's a little bit of life in that OPS. I mean, it's up to 140 batting average and a 507 OPS. So we ain't throwing them a parade yet. But uh, it's definitely nice to see some life in those numbers and some life in his bat. And let's hope some pitchers continue to make some mistakes up and in to Josh Bell and he can continue to unload on them. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from D.C. It's the Guardians 4, the uh, Nationals 3. We'll be back tomorrow. We got a 4.05 start uh, today, so some late afternoon baseball, which is good because this thing should be wrapping up just as the Cavs game is going to start to get interesting. Hopefully, the Guardians will do us a favor and just jump out to a huge early lead. Haven't done it yet this season, really, but hopefully, they can jump out to a hurt, huge early lead and take the pressure off so we can all go enjoy a Cavs playoff game because I'm excited for some Cavs playoff action. It's going to be, a, they've been talking up this Cavs Knicks series. It's going to be a battle. Uh, I don't know how many of you out there are Cavs basketball fans or if you're just here for the baseball, but uh, I'm excited about that. So we'll see. I, you, know, I, you can watch both these days, right? You can have one on the TV, one on your phone, one on your computer. You know you we're all savvy out there, right? We're pretty tech savvy. We can watch two things at once. So uh, if it is a tight game, we'll definitely have to keep our eyes on both. Please, Zach, oof, 
is going up against Cool for the uh, Nationals, a righty on the mound. Uh, so we'll see what Francona deploys. Man, Brennan has really earned his spot in that lineup, hasn't he? Two hits again on the night, including uh, the double, including the go-ahead RBI. Brennan, is j- he's just hit his way into this lineup. You can't take him out. The, the kid hits. I know he's not the big power threat that Oscar Gonzalez is, but kid's hitting, and there's no reason to take him out of the lineup. You know what? One last thought. Zanino was still in there catching the ninth inning, and he had a pass. Went as a wild pitch, but you know the way Hamilton called it, it could have been a pass ball. Um, why is Zanino in there catching the ninth inning? If you don't need his bat, if this is a safe situation and you've got the lead, why don't you put one of your other better defensive catchers in there? Because clearly, Zanino is one of the worst defensive catchers right now in the league when it comes to pass balls. So why not go with one of your other two? You're carrying three catchers on this team. Why leave Zanino in there and risk a pass ball or a wild pitch in the ninth inning? I don't know. Seems seems strange. I know he's a veteran, but seems like a strange decision. All right. That's all my thoughts. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I didn't hear from anybody during the off day. Go ahead and fill up my inbox. If anything I said today caught your ear, anything is interesting, then let me know, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com, and we'll discuss it on the show. I hope, uh, did you hear the train sound? I'm doing this with the windows open. It's a hot night in Cleveland. Uh, also, you can, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. There's a link in the show notes. You can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.